Welcome to episode one. I had a very special guest today, Dr. Patrick Montgomery from Logan University stopped by. We had a great history lesson. Dr. Montgomery gave us some of the history of chiropractic in America, also some of the roadblocks that DC's faced on getting here. One of the big takeaways from Dr. Montgomery's presentation was that there is a true importance in state association membership. Fight for chiropractic was not done at the federal level. This was one piecemeal, state by state. So each state had to similarly put together a practice act as well as make sure that the scope was was what they wanted it and oftentimes it wasn't. We also went over chiropractors being jailed, also their families being jailed with them and some of the stories that came out of that like DCs that were actually treating patients in jail for the time that they were there. It was a really great conversation. I look forward to speaking with Dr. Montgomery because of his uh, role as a historian in the world of chiropractic and he also does a lot of great other stuff for the university. Uh, We really thank Dr. Montgomery for coming out today and we look forward for you to hear the show. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Legally Mind. They're going to be giving a presentation down at the Summer Expo in Branson, Missouri, July 27th through the 29th. You do not want to miss this presentation. They'll be going over the different wealth management and asset protection tools that you need to be employing in your business. We're also going to get some information about what's changed since their last presentation. So I'm really looking forward to it. If you've been around the MCPA long enough, you know how much support that Legally Mind has for the association. And you also know just how much is at stake whenever you're out here running your business. So come on down to the Summer Expo to see Legally Mind's presentation. We'll see you there. Thank you to Legally Mind. Thank you for joining us today. This is Dr. Montgomery. Um, I've been a longtime member of the State Association here in Missouri. Uh, and uh, hopefully that you'll uh, get to see uh, with this little presentation what uh, our State Association uh, does, what it's for, what it has done in the past, what it's doing in the future, and why uh, you should be proud to be a member of the State Association. So the um, uh, our executive director and our, our deputy director have asked me to put this together, so hopefully you'll enjoy this. Uh, it's about 33 slides long, and if you have any questions, please contact me or contact our state association. Okay, our, our, our professions come a long way. It's 100 years. Uh, from humble origins in the 19th century, chiropractic colleges have become a non have become nonprofit, federally recognized institutions of higher learning for the preparation of doctors of chiropractic. Today, chiropractors meet patients' needs around the world. Today's chiropractors are licensed in all American states and is legal and are licensed in many nations around the globe. There's 89 total quote in the World Federation of Chiropractic website, and there's 195 independent countries in the world today. The U.S. government's Agency of Healthcare Policy and Research has determined that spinal manipulation, as performed by chiropractors, is a, val- is a valuable component of the care that should be rendered to patients with low back pain syndromes. This was released in 1994. Uh, if you look closely at this, um, you see here in the lower right-hand corner, uh, if you don't know Dr. Lou Sportelli, he is uh, the chiropractor here, longtime uh, proponent of the professional chiropractic. Uh, when this came out in 1994, you could uh, posters, had them all over my, over my walls, and there was a surge of, of uh, patients coming to chiropractors because this was a five-year study looking at every type of, of uh, care for low back pain, no matter what it was, all the way from uh, peer-reviewed journals down to waving black cats over low backs. And they found that there are two things that, um, uh, that worked the best. The thing that worked the best was chiropractic and exercise. 
the two things that worked the worst was, was surgery and bed rest. Um, this is in early chiropractic, uh, Dr. D.D. Palmer, the founder of chiropractic, started teaching this in, in 19, or 1897. And here he is in an early class, uh, early graduates, 1905. You see that his son, Dr. B.J. Palmer, sits to his right. Uh, Dr. B.J. graduated for, under his dad in 1902. However, uh, what is happening today is not always the way it was back then. The legitimacy and privileges that the profession enjoys today were not known to early DCs. The pioneers of chiropractic struggled for decades against the Goliath in order to secure the right to care for patients in need. At the time, there were no chiropractic practicing lags. Thousands of chiropractors were arrested and or went to jail. In the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s, anyone who wasn't an MD and purported to care or to treat or to make a diagnosis was said to be practicing medicine without a license and was arrested and thrown into jail. Even Dr. D.D. Palmer was arrested for practicing medicine without a license in two states, in Iowa and in California. Here is a copy of the Western Union telegram sent by Dr. Palmer back to, uh, to uh, uh, his son saying that in Pasadena, California in, in 1902, Dr. B, uh, Dr. Two, two Dr. B.J. Palmer um, in Davenport, Iowa, the, uh, the chiropractor was, not, was found not guilty of practicing medicine or surgery, that was BD. Now, he went back to Iowa in the end of, of 1903, beginning of 1904, in time to see his son marry his wife, Mabel Palmer. Um, and about at the end of the next year, this is a uh, arrest warrant for DD. It was issued to him in October 7th, 1905. The charge was practicing medicine without a certificate. If you look closely at the people who signed this, this is the grand jury. And of course, one of the members of the grand jury who, who brought up the, the charge to begin with was Frederick Seinbach, who was a medical doctor. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. So it's like he was on the grand jury there. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> Dr. D.D. Palmer was arrested for practicing medicine without a license in two states and then spent time in jail in 1906 on that same charge. So D.D. said, no, I'm not practicing medicine. I'm practicing chiropractic. And that was his, his defense. However, he wasn't a lawyer and the jury did not agree and promptly convicted him. Given the choice of paying what he considered an unjust fine or jail time, Dr. Palmer chose to go to jail in Scott County, Iowa. It was a matter of principle. But remember, Dee, by this time, was now 61 years old. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been in jail. I hope that none of you have. It's not <laughs> a very nice place from what I'm told. But can't you imagine what it was over 100 years ago? So about after 28, 23 days, he asked his wife to pay the fine was released. Now, in order to, um, to uh, get away from be, being charged again, he sold his, his one half of his school to his son and partner, BJ. If you look closely here, here's the bill of sale. Uh, a committee got together uh, and uh, they, they evaluated the uh, value of Palmer School. And uh, as it says here, received the Bart J. Palmer 2000 $196.79. I guess 79 cents made a lot of difference back then. <laughs> it really did. And so 
he left there and he went on to first off to, to Oklahoma and eventually went moved to Oregon. Now, there are two organizations that were formed to protect the chiropractor in the future of, of, of the profession. Two of his early students, one by the name of Solo Langworthy, was tired of chiropractors being, being um, arrested for practicing medicine without a license or practicing anything without a license. So he wanted to see if he could stop that by getting the Chiropractic Practice Act. So he founded the very first chiropractic association called the American Chiropractic Association. This is not the same ACA that we know today. Fact is, there's been five ACAs of that name. The current one is actually a descendant of these, this next one that BJ started. In 1906, one year later, BJ founded the Universal Chiropractors Association. And his goal was to defend arrested chiropractors in court. So it's a two-pronged approach. You had uh, some of the chiropractors say, we need licensing in, in the, our state. The second one said, well, in the meantime, all these guys are all these guys and, and, and women were being thrown in jail for practicing medicine license. They need a defense. So Langworthy's ACA was actually successful in getting the, a, 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 the ACA back bill to be passed in Minnesota State Legislature. However, the governor, upon the urging of other healing arts that weren't real friendly to us, vetoed it. Now, the UCA, like I mentioned before, was uh, there to defend chiropractors. And the very first case they took was a uh, case of Dr. Sergerato Maracubo in, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Maracubo was an early uh, Palmer graduate. He's, fe he's featured in the very first book by both BJ and uh, DD called The um, uh, Philosophy of Chiropractic in 1906. Now, Maracubo was arrested for in charge with actually three things medicine, practicing medicine, practicing surgery, and practicing osteopathy without a license. Now, the UCA hired uh, the attorney, Tom Morris. He also was a, a Canadian-born uh, uh, gentleman. He was also went on to become the Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin. And he successfully defended Marakubu by using the very first textbook called Modernized Chiropractic. Now, Modernized Chiropractic was a book written by three chiropractors. One was Sobel Langworthy. And uh, by this time, there were several people who had dual degrees, sometimes even three degrees. They're already a medical doctor, they're already a DO, they're already a dentist and so forth. And they want to learn this new thing that uh, Dr. D.D. Palmer came up with, which was uh, chiropractic. So one of the very first students who got all three degrees was Andrew P. Davis, who you see right here on the right hand side. He was a DC, a DO, and MD. And he was called to be an expert witness along with other dual degree practitioners, DC and DO, to testify chiropractic had a separate and distinct philosophy and practice than other healing arts. Now, uh, Tom Morris had already had convinced the, the, uh, uh, the district attorney to drop the charge of practicing medicine and surgery because Sergeratu did not use any medicines and he did not use a scalpel. So the only thing that was left was to defend chiropractic against practicing osteopathy. Well, what did they do? They, they, they testified that chiropractic has separate and distinct philosophy and practice. And guess what? The jury agreed. And they put it Marakubu in just 23 minutes of deliberation. That was the very first time that a chiropractor was successfully def defended against 
practicing another healing art. Once again, there was no practice acts. Now, the March to Get Chiropractic Licensing Acts was, had to be passed in each state, so the drive was on, as well as the need to continue to defend chiropractors was also necessary. This two-pronged approach to promote and protect chiropractic was taken on, on by each state's own chiropractors. They, what they had to do was form a state association. The National Chiropractic Association uh, continued to fight and promote chiropractic at the national level. Well, the very first state that actually passed and had got the governor to sign the Practice Act was Kansas in 1913. But also in 1913, another state, North Dakota, passed it, and they were the, the ones that actually got the first license issued. Kansas, um, the governor in Kansas, uh, decided that he didn't want to uh, appoint anybody, any chiropractor on the state um, examining board if they're already practicing there because it's well they wrote the law i'm not going to put a, a a lawbreaker on the state so that's why north dakota got the very first uh license issued now why do we have to go state by state let's talk a little bit about how the united states works i know a lot of my students at, at logan and other colleges that i've taught at have asked how come our practice acts are so different from one state to another state so let's talk about it. In the creation of the United States, the power and authority needed to be shared. In the division of powers, some of these were reserved for the federal government, such as raising an army and so forth. Some, though, were reserved for the state government. Remember when the United States was first, was first uh, founded, there's actually 13 different, basically, their own governing units. They had to decide to come together, to join together in order to defend itself. And they gave up some of their powers, but they defended other powers. But one of those powers that was categorized as states' rights was the supervision of healing arts. Each state had to have its own practice act for every single healing art. The practice act, which we now know, is defined on how the practitioner could gain a license and what each healing art could or could not do, which is what we call the scope of practice. That's a, been a big debate on every every state, I think just about every year. Now, depending upon the state or healing art, if a certain practice, say chiropractic, was not regulated and a practice act was not passed, the practitioner, as we have seen, would be practicing an already he a licensed healing art, for example, medicine, without a license. Let's talk a little bit about what, what the medical doctors could do back then. They were the first ones to get licensing acts passed. What they did, they had a very what's called a broad scope. What did that mean? Well, it included many, if not all, practices, including taking blood pressure, making a diagnosis, treating a condition, and so forth. So therefore, back then, if you did not have your own license to practice your own particular healing art, and you did one of these things, you could be charged, and a lot of them did, were charged for practicing medicine or some other, other profession without a license. So if you didn't license, guess what? Many times you went off to jail. Chiropractors by, by the hundreds and even thousands were thrown into jails due to the fact that no practice acts could be passed. Why couldn't they be passed? Well, we're not the only ones that want us to, to practice and other people don't want us to do this. No one DC alone could stand against the sway and influence of other healthcare professions 
who had the ears and the pockets of the legislators. You see here several people that you may have heard of. The gentleman there at the very top, right in the middle, that's Herb Reaver. Herb Reaver has had the distinction of being the most jailed chiropractor in the United States. He also went on to, uh, to create a new way of adjusting cervicals called Fifth Cervical T, which helped restore cervical curves. That went on to become the Pierce Stillwagon method of adjusting, which now a lot of people use, which is also use many of the, of the principles of thermal point, in other words, Thompson. Now, even families were thrown in jail sometimes. In his 1931 book, The Rise of Chiropractic, historian Shinnerton Turner estimated that doctors of chiropractic had collectively undergone 15,000 prosecutions for one unlicensed practice. At that time, there was only 12,000 DCs practicing. There's a picture here on the right-hand side from of Dr. Teams and his daughter were thrown into jail in 1906. It was definitely in the Wild West. For the ones listening, uh, this was a doctor of chiropractic and his daughter behind a jail gate. So if you are not on a video right now, they jailed his family. Yes, and that happened across the country. State after state, without the protection of a state chiropractic practice law, DCs were landed in jail. And why? All for helping sick people get well. In California, we have records showing that the state medical board resolved to keep at least one chiropractor behind bars at all times in each county in order to set an example. Now, while they're in there, chiropractors try to remain, uh, maintain some dignity. Look at how they dressed. In a few instances, the sheriff would permit them to care for their patients during visits to, to the jailhouse. Why? Sometimes because the sheriff was also a patient of the chiropractor that he had to, was ordered to go rest to throw in jail. Now, how does a bill, how does the Practice Act come into, into being? First off, it has to become a bill. In order for the Practice Act to be passed, the bill needs to be sponsored by a member of the state legislature. It could be a senator or it could be a representative. Then the fight was on. Other already licensing, licensed healing arts fought against the passage of the new healing art. Sometimes it was quite selfish. Sometimes they would say it was for the uh, safety of the public, but many times that was just a ruse. Objections would be heard at legislative committee meetings. And if the bills didn't get enough votes to pass the committee, it was dead for that legislative session and had to start all over again the next session. So it sounds like what we're trying to do now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, Medicare Modernization Act. Now, lobbying the legislators had to be done days, weeks, months, or even years prior to a bill being introduced and voted on. What we have to do is we have to go lobby. We have to knock on the legislators' doors. We have to sit down with the legislator, tell them what, what, what the bill was, why it was, was so good, how it benefited the, the citizens of the state, and so forth, and ask them to become what's called a co-sponsor. Uh, one of the things about, one of the uh, interesting things about uh, being a co-sponsor is that when the bill first comes up for a vote in the entire chamber, if you're a co-sponsor, that first vote, you must vote for it. So that's why it's so important that we go lobby, lobby legislators 
get their support long before the bill is brought up for a vote on, on the House or seventh floor. Now, if the bill is passed in one chamber, say the House, they then have to go over to the Senate and start all over again, back to both legislators, to these, to the uh, committee, go through the whole thing again. Now, if it goes past both chambers, it goes on to the governor, who still has to say, oh, that's a great idea, or, and now, uh, and he can both veto it. But guess what? The, the bill is now dead and has to start all over again. Now, who leads these, these lobbying efforts? Well, in most states, in order to get a new practice law passed or any practice law passed, it must it takes even longer than the first time. It may take a lot more visits, letters, nowadays, emails to each legislator. Fact is, we found uh, through our our pact in Missouri that the legislator would prefer to get the email first rather than a letter because it comes straight to them and they can add them up. This also means a lot more money invested by each practitioner in order to fund the effort. You know, it, as they say, it's no such thing as a free lunch. In more modern times, in order to focus this and make sure that, uh, that we follow all laws having to do with lobbying, that requires a political action committee, we call a pact, in order to organize it. Now, at the same time, the other healing arts are doing the same thing. They're trying to stay with the times, that's just what we are. And because of that, many times there's an overlap of practice rights. That's where quite a few different professions will say, I don't want you to pass this, I do want you to pass this, please vote for me, don't vote for them, so forth. It's, um, as they like to say, seeing legislation pass, like watching sausage made. You know, somebody don't know the, the individual uh, in particular parts that go into it. Now, because this has to be done state by state, it has to, it takes time. Now, as I mentioned before, Kansas was the first state, followed closely by North, North Dakota in 1913. Now, look how slow this was. And two years later, we got three more. One year later, just Nebraska. Now, now in, between 1914 and 1918, especially 1917, 1918, a major thing happened across the country. We went to war. And many of these chiropractors went off to, to war and became a veteran. When they came back, all of a sudden, they were being thrown in the jail and this news got off to the public. And just like, like today, people don't like that. They don't like their veterans, their heroes, be thrown in jail. And look, in 1919, 1921, up to 1923, a lot more states got their licensing laws passed because of the support of the voters. It's not just the chiropractor. It's the patients that they serve. You have to, as a chiropractor, you have to get your, your patients on board with this. Everybody you know. It's 1922, California passed it. Now let's, let's look at Missouri. Missouri wasn't passed until 1927. But look at the very last state. It wasn't until that long ago that we finally got the last state, Louisiana, to pass its law and get it passed by the governor in 1974. So let's go back one. 1913 to 1974. That's what? How many years? 61 years to get each state to pass this practice law. Now at the same time too, um, knowledge of the human body has advanced. 
for instance, when I went through school, when I graduated, there's no such thing as an MRI. So when it came out, I had to go back to school on how to how the MRIs work and how to read them and how to make sure that I knew what I was doing and when I needed to have one of our specialists at DACBAR to, to coincide. So sometimes these laws were, were passed talking about what was happening then. Well, time marches on. So therefore the new practice act has to be passed. So let's talk about us. All these practicing acts were successful due to the role of each chiropractic state association. These seeds in each state realized that they banded together to form an association, each to first seek a practicing act and then to promote and protect the profession. No one DC can do it on their own. No person is an island. There's strength in numbers. It takes time, it takes dedication, it go, going above and beyond, and putting your money where your mouths are. It takes total dedication. Now, Missouri, the state, Missouri State Chiropractic Association, the MSCA, was, was founded in 1913 by a group of Missouri chiropractors. Its primary goal was to get a practice act. Remember what we said? It took 14 years to get the first one passed. The president of the first MSCA was Dr. William Humsfeld and Humfield. In order to, to get that state association up and going, he went out and visited every single DC in the state, went to their office and asked them, urged them to become a member. Each DC was also charged to promote the MSCA's cause to their patients. I remember as a child living, uh, my father had a home office combination and when new things would come up, say at the Church Equality Act, he had a he would put a, a, a sign-in sheet in his reception room and ask every single of his patients to sign it and told them what was going on so that the people, the list could be sent to the legislators saying, see your constituents who vote for you want, and you're supposed to represent them. This is what they want. This is what we have to do almost every single time. So at, they, they would urge them to write to the state legislator, the governor, to ask them for their support to get the bill passed and signed. And time and time, the, the bills were defeated, mostly due to, to the efforts of both the state and national medical associations. Not so much because they don't, they didn't, pursue, pursue, uh, they didn't like us, some didn't, but they also did not know anything about us. And there we were thinking that we were going to encroach upon their turf. Now, in 1927, after many hours, days, weeks, months, even years, the MSCA was finally successful to get the first practice act passed and signed by the governor. There is Governor David R. Francis. And who actually got it introduced and got passed to the state legislator? Well, none other than an attorney who's also a medical doctor, who was the uh, Missouri House of Representatives and former AMA trustee, Jones Parker. He agreed to chiropractic licensing bill as requested of, of a chiropractic patient, who's also a friend, who was a funeral director for whom he owned a favor. Missouri's law was passed and Dr. Parker became a popular lecturer in the chiropractic state conventions. In our archives in the, in the MSCA, now the MCPA's archives, we have numerous pictures of Dr. Parker speaking to our conventions. Now that the Missouri chiropractors have their own practice act, chiropractors can see, see their patient on fear of a knock on the door, which could be a policeman coming to arrest them. Now, this is Dr. Kitty Scallon in New York. Their practice act didn't get passed until 1963. 
She was arrested and thrown in the New York's notorious woman's policy detention. She wrote this in 1949. Being here sometimes being like a bad dream. When you think of it of being only with being, I've sucked that again. When you think of it being for nothing but doing good. I felt downhearted when the news that Mabel Palmer died. She died in 1949. But I was always perked up when I thought of chiropractic and many people that had helped. Could I throw my shoulders back and be ready and willing to make any sacrifice to help free our beloved science? My question to all of DCs listening to this is how about you? Would you do this? The MSCA president in 1927 was Dr. John Stevens, and the VP was none other than Dr. C.S. Cleveland Sr., the president and co founder of the Cleveland Chiropractic College, Kansas City. A large celebration of the event was held in St. Louis at the annual MSCA convention. We have a nice big picture of everyone who came. Both Dr. Cleveland and Dr. Henry Herring, who was the president of Missouri Chiropractic College, which was in St. Louis, were both there. Since that time, the MSCA, now the MCPA, has championed chiropractic costs with strengthened numbers as members involved in protecting and promoting chiropractic and chiropractic lifestyle. The MSCA, MCPA, has taken a stand for principle, right of each citizen to choose his or her preferred method of healing. Each DC in Missouri needs to be a member of the MCA now. Now, this is the legal accomplishments in just the last 25 years. Just recently, we got the uh, uh, Medicaid bill to be passed in order for people that uh, who are Medicaid eligible to come to chiropractors. Before then, they couldn't do it. When we, were, when we were fighting this, we had, this was a culmination of about seven to eight years worth of, worth, worth of um, testimony in front of the different uh, house committees. Uh, one time when I was president of the MSCA, I went there with Dr. Carl Cleveland III, president of Cleveland College at the time, to testify in front of them. And one of the things we found is that 40% of the population of the state of Missouri are Medicaid eligible. At that time, Medicaid did not pay for chiropractic services. So therefore, there's only one thing they could do, take medications, take opioids for their pain and disability. And when they continue to, to continue to work because they had to, blue collar people have to work. It's like everybody else, they have to work. Well, they were working with, with injuries and finally they had to have surgery, which may have put them completely on disability list. So we talked to the state legislators about this and showed them the statistics. And we had Dr. Cheryl Hawk, who was the, 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 the uh, well-known chiropractic researcher, showed research studies that showed that only, only two methods of, of healing arts could help people with low back pain. One was with medications, and the other was chiropractic. Of those two, only one restores function. And that function was chiropractic. So therefore, right now, we have a big push against the opioid epidemic. We are the alternative to that. We can help people get well without drugs or surgery. In 2010, we got the prompt pay, eliminating with all the black hole suspended claims. People will wait months, if not years, for the bills to be paid. In 2009, there's a 50% rule that uh, the med pay, the um, uh, Copay could not be above 50% of the charge of that day. We go down here now in the 2007 New Expanded Practice Act. That's what we do now. One of the cool things about this practice act, now, this is, it's been changed 
multiple times over the years since 1947, trying to keep up with the times. So in 2007, after 10 years of, of battling against people who didn't want us to do this, we now have a bill that's considered one of the best in the country, which means that you can practice any procedure that is currently taught in a, in a accredited chiropractic college. It stays up with the times. That's, that's because of the MSCA. Then if we go down here further, we see all these other accomplishments. We had to take it to the legislator, get these laws passed, because we tried to talk to people, the, reg the regulators that said, well, we're, we don't think we need to do this. Well, now we had to go to the state legislature said, this is why our patient needed. And they turned around and said to the regulators, you must do this. That's the strength of the MCBA. Now, just a few years ago, the board of directors of the Missouri State Chiropractic Association voted to change the name of our 100 plus year old organization, the Missouri Chiropractic Physicians Association. This is still the same great association has been the voice of Missouri chiropractors since 1913. As I mentioned before, the new act took 10 years of lobbying to get done. Lots of visits to the state capital of Jefferson City. We call it the Ledge Day, Legislative Day. The more people who come to Ledge Day, the more impact to the drive of our, of our desires in the eyes of the legislature. For our 100th anniversary in 2013, we had over 250 DCs and DC students come to lobby. The legislators were talking about this after this event for weeks. Their strength, their strength in numbers. This is the picture of this group. You notice there in the very, very front is Dr. Uh, James Bryden. Dr. Jim Bryden was a longtime MSCA and now MCPA member. And he was one of the plaintiffs for the Wilk versus the AMA trial that changed the landscape for all the chiropractic across the country. We have to do this again and again for chiropractic. Our next legislative day is going to be in, in February. Please come. The more we have, the more impact we can have. So before the pandemic, let's look at what's going on now. Before the pandemic, Missouri's total practicing DCs over about 2,000. The membership of the MSCA was considered a little bit more than 400, or about 40%. We wanted more. But when the pandemic hit, a lot of things changed. But now the pandemic is over. So now the Missouri total practicing DC is over about 2,200. But the membership is now under 400, about 24%. That means there's a lot less people that can be lobbying. A lot less people can be in the know what's going on in the state. And of course, a lot less money for us to be able to finance to, to protect and promote chiropractic in our state. Now, currently, there's over 73,000 chiropractors practicing every day within the United States, according to the American Chiropractic Association. What about everybody else? In the other Missouri professions, there are over 11,000 MDs and DCs, DCs practicing in the state of Missouri. Now, there's almost a million in across the United States. A little bit more people come. What about physical therapists? Right now, there's 578,000 plus physical therapists in the U.S. There's over 2,000 that practice in Missouri alone. Last time I checked, there was 2,000, so 204, I believe, thousand that are practicing in Missouri. And this is where the sources of that information come from. So what are we going to do about it? Well, this is a call for action. This is the reason why we're producing this webinar. It's the reason why I put this together. 
in order to promote and protect the practice of chiropractic in each state, especially Missouri, every DC in this state was joined or rejoined the MCPA. Remember, right now it's only 24% of the DCs in Missouri. The MSCA president before me had a goal of getting a thousand people. I am so glad and so glad he doesn't see what the numbers are now. Freedom of choice in, in healthcare is not a given. It must be one. It must then it must be protected. This must come from all the chiropractors in Missouri and all the chiropractors in the US. Your patients deserve the ability to choose chiropractic. It is up to you. Now, I'd like to recall what President Teddy Roosevelt said about this. He said, every man, and now women, remember this is 100 years ago, every man owes a part of his time and money to the business or industry in which he is engaged. No man or woman has more right to withhold their support for an organization that's striving to improve conditions within his sphere. So join now. Our, our convention is coming at the end of this month down in Branson. Our districts meet every month. So come to the district meetings. Come to the state convention. For those who are in the NCA, which is slang for no chiropractic <laughs> association, don't just sit, sit idly by and do nothing. Stop your complaining. Get it done. Join now. Your patients need you. Chiropractic needs you. As the late, great Dr. Jimmy Parker, founder of the Parker University, said to every person who wanted to make it in practice, if it is to be, it's up to me. If it's, for, if it's to be in our state association, continue to fight for chiropractic, it's up to you. Well, doctor, the future of chiropractic in the area will help you. Join the MS, MCPA, be a part of the future. That's my message, Michael. Okay. It's amazing, Dr. Montgomery. What I really like that you pointed out is that there are a lot of strong proponents of chiropractic in history that made very bold individual moves as part of a larger movement. So people risked their individual safety, health, business. And at the time, I don't know if they really even knew if they had a clear uh, outcome that could be promised. Most of the time, it was just uh, staying out of the slammer, it sounds like. So the big difference is here now that we have some of these practice acts and we have some of the benefits that those that came before us were able to etch out through the association, through the legislative actions and things like that. It's not over. I would say that we are still in the same landscape that we were in in California in 2000 or what was that, 1925, before they passed their act. I'd say right now the challenge is changing. So let's say you were just focused on my practice, my one office. You're running a business in a county. You're trying to make sure that everything is right with your patients. But, you know, with the other uh, healthcare providers that are also, you mentioned that they will get bills passed for their scope of practice. Yes. And oftentimes that'll overlap with what we already have. So now you're in a situation where something that you've done for years or something that you were very sure was part of your scope of may not be allowed. So I think that's why Missouri, with their scope of practice, allowing anything taught in a approved chiropractic college was huge. So when you mentioned that, I was ecstatic because that is uh, not the case for some of the other states. Can you talk about the experience? So what was it like your first time you came to a MSCA, MCPA meeting? What was your first, you know, your license? Do you show up to a voluntary meeting? Could you just explain what the first one was like, the earliest one you remember? Oh, the earliest one I remember was right after I graduated. 
I graduated uh, quite young. I finished my schooling kind of early. And uh, in 19, when I was about 24 years old, I went to the first uh, local district meeting. And uh, it was just a very few people there. And uh, they were talking about what we were trying to do. And to give you an idea what the Practice Act was like back then, our Practice Act was so limited that it allowed us to give advice on nutrition. I said, okay, that's wonderful. Uh, however, the advice was limited by the Attorney General because it was so vague of the light of the, of the law. I said, I could say to my patient, I want you to drink more water. But guess what? The patient said, how much should I drink? I said, I can't tell you. That's how ridiculous it was back then. In order to get things changed, if you're thinking, well, how come I can't do this? How come uh, I want to do this, I want to do that? Why can't I be, do sports physicals in high schools? How come I can't um, do Boy Scout physicals? Why can't I do Girl Scout physicals? I'm trained to do it. Well, these bigger organizations are based in another state. And right now, those states, the practice law doesn't. Every state has to step up to the plate and keep their practice laws uh, improved, modernized. Right now, the, the, the country is, is um, being asked to provide for a burgeoning new population called the elderly. More and more people are, are going to become Medicare eligible. For those that know anything about Medicare for paraphrasing, it only pays for the adjustment. It does not pay for the consultation. It does not pay for the examination. It does not pay for any of your tests. It does not pay for any kind of thing but the adjustment. Now, most of the older people I know are living on a fixed income, which means they, when they retired, that was it. Prices keep going up, as you may notice at the gas station yeah. <laughs> at the grocery store. So more and more money has to go towards that. They don't have the money in their pocket to come in to pay you for the examination. But you can't can't adjust them without figuring out their, their health. So when we got this passed, it's, a, it's a, now a, a, a Medicare Act for chiropractic. It's over 50 years old. There's a lot of change. I don't know if anybody has a car 50 years old. I don't know if anyone that feels the same as they were 50 years old. In fact, a lot of people in our profession weren't even born 50 years old. So now it's time to change this. But again, just like our state practice ends, we have to buy band together. We have to be active. We have to contribute not only time, but money. But I'm wondering why. So, 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 please, so please, uh, please consider supporting our state uh, in our state association and also national association efforts to keep us abreast with, with modern times. Does that help, Michael? Definitely, definitely. I'm glad you brought up uh, President Roosevelt because Dr. Russ Mathias had a similar quote that he gave me. Chiropractic is your chosen profession, so support it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is. For, for me, it's, uh, it's, been, it's a way of life. So that's why I keep, keep going. I keep doing different things for my profession. And uh, my wife says, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep contributing money? You're, 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 you're over 65 now. You ought to just step back. Says, I can't. This is my life. I grew up in chiropractic. I was a chiropractor. My brother was a chiropractor. My niece and nephew were chiropractors. My kids who grew up in a chiropractic family. That's what I know. And I know that it works very, very well. They're all in great health. So it's like the fog fast. But uh, that's all because of other conditions. So 
a lot of my friends are not going to the chiropractors and now their health is not as good as it should be. Uh, look around at your patients. Look around the people that you know. Do they go to chiropractors or not? What type of health are they doing? How many medications are on just to keep them their, their feeling okay? Pain is not normal. They say, I have, I have a normal headache. That's not normal. Almost abundant good health. And that's what chiropractic health has to offer for them. So if you're uh, if you uh, are hopefully free later on this month, come down to the uh, convention uh, in Branson. If you're already a member, one of the cool things about being a member is the convention is part of your dues. So you get to come down to this. All these great speakers are great. And besides, when you come down to come by, come by and say hi to me, I'd love to see you. There's a lot of benefits of membership outside of just the continuing education side. I do a lot of calls with DCs. And, you know, some of the main things they don't know about is that we have the insurance forum. We have DCs that you can ask questions about. We also have the legal forum with Mr. Jordy McGonigal, the MCPA's attorney. So when you have these questions, there is somebody that can guide you on it. But outside of just counsel, there's things like group health insurance. You also get the discounts from the various corporate sponsors that we've amassed. So I think if you're trying to do something for your community, for your business, the association has some benefits for you. Just, you know, if you just want to get down to brass tacks financially, what can I do by joining the association? You can bring group health insurance to your office. Do you have two people that work there? You can now bring a new staff retention benefit. You can get in the find a doctor directory. People call all the time looking for a chiropractor in their area, thinking that we're an office. And oftentimes we just send them right to the find a doctor directory. It's best for them to search in their area rather than, you know, trying to go back out onto Google. A lot of this is really just based upon the fact that you don't need to reinvent anything too crazy to promote and prevent chiropractic from backsliding. You just need to be a member of your state association. And I'd also challenge you to be a little bit more than a member. Try to take a local position. Get involved in your district. Make sure that when things are happening in your greater area, you know about them. When people are struggling in their business, it'd be great to have somebody to talk to. But if you're not a member of the association, you have to talk to some of the alums from the school that you went to. Or maybe you have a friend that's also a DC. But if you don't have a chiropractic family, then come join the MCPA. We will be your family. Okay, that was episode one. I want to thank Dr. Patrick Montgomery for coming out today. He did a great job breaking down the historical aspects of membership, also what doctors of chiropractic have gone through in the last hundred years. I really want to thank everybody for listening. Let us know what you thought. You can uh, comment on the Facebook post. You can also write us. Who else do you want to hear on here? What do you want to hear about? I'm not a doctor. I'm going to need some help with some doctors. So we'll talk to you soon.